Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pisa, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And the closer we get to Synod, the messier things are getting. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We're also dropping a new series, Prepare for Synod, with me every single Thursday from now all the way up until Synod, so make sure to check those out as well. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us over on Patreon. We are slowly working our way toward our modest goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Craig Hukuma. So Craig, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church you're at. Yeah, so I'm... Craig Hukuma, and um, I am serving at Calvin Christian Reformed Church in Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, Married to my wife, Janine, for almost 20 years. It will be 20 this summer, and we have three boys, ages 15, 13, and 12. Um, I grew up in Northwest Iowa, grew up in the CRC in Northwest Iowa. Hull is my hometown. My wife is also from Northwest Iowa. We met in high school. Um, And I, uh, yeah, so I spent pretty much all of my formative years in the Christian Reformed Church. But then for university, I went to Waldorf College, which is a a Lutheran college in north central Iowa, really small school. Probably nobody's heard of it unless they're either Lutheran or uh, from that part of the the world. Um, And actually, it was it was at it was at that Lutheran college that I became reformed, uh, studying Luther's bondage of the will, I began to go, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I think this predestination stuff is actually right. Um, so I actually fell in love with Luther. I think he's still my favorite theologian. Um, I debated going to a Lutheran seminary, staying in the Lutheran tradition. Um, I think that was just sort of a, a mental excursus. I don't know how how deeply seriously I, serious I was about it. Um, but I kind of I kind of went to Calvin I don't know, almost begrudgingly, I went to Calvin Seminary, almost like, I, I think I had this, this idea in my head that Calvin was just a kind of a cold, academic, really rigorous, um, almost unfriendly, unspiritual place. Um, I don't think that was ever a fair characterization of Calvin, but at least somehow I got that impression in my head. But I was like, well, I feel called to the CRC. I'll just go do my years at Calvin and get through it and get the training I need. And and move on and and ended up just having a great time at Calvin. Loved my years at Calvin Seminary. So then from Calvin, I uh, I did a, a year-long internship in Sarnia, Ontario. Uh, so that was kind of my, my jump across the border into Canada. And I kind of thought at the time, this would be great. I'll just get a year of experience in the Canadian CRC and then hopefully go back to the States, be a little closer to our family, who was all kind of still in Northwest Iowa. Um, but 
uh, that year long internship turned into my first call. So we were there for eight years. And at the time that it was clear to us that God was calling us away from Sarnia, the door he was opening was in Ottawa. So we ended up going further into Canada to the capital of Canada. And yeah, we've had seven great years here in Ottawa. Okay. So you've been in ministry 15 years then now, or like ordained ministry 15 years. Yeah, I think 14, because I wasn't ordained my first year in Sarnia. Oh, okay. Okay, so did you always kind of know you were going to be a pastor, or did this come on you later on in life? Yeah, I I had inklings of a call very, very young. And in fact, I remember... I remember at certain points in high school, I was I was sure that God was calling me to ministry. It was just a matter of time. Um, but at some point in high school, I decided I didn't I didn't want to go into pastoral ministry. That just didn't sound appealing to me. And I had been talking to friends who were majoring in communications, and I I just said to them, "Would would communications be a good degree to get if you wanted to go into some kind of ministry?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, for sure." Um, so I was like, okay, then I'm going to do a communications degree and just see where this goes. Um, but my my undergraduate degree ended up being really heavily focused in um, like radio and TV production. And I was enjoying that. That's kind of fun stuff to do. So I ended up sort of running away from my calling and um, sort of going down that path. And then as I was getting closer and closer to the end of, of my um, college years, I was like, what am I doing? I it was never my plan to end up, you know, working in some production house or for some TV station. Um, and then I, I like to say that God got out his, his two by four. So I was taking a, uh, taking a, a couple of religion courses from two different professors who were also pastors or had served as pastors. And one of them kept every time he would see me in the hallway, he would say, so have you signed up for seminary yet with a little twinkle in his eye? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And the other one would, was a little more serious in the way that he would encourage me. He'd be like, no, Craig, really, like you should, you should pray about this. And I would, I would tell them, which I, I think I knew was a flat out lie. I would tell them, no, nah, I thought about seminary, but I'm really not called there. I think I knew that that was a lie, but at least that was my standard answer. And I remember thinking it's, it didn't mean that much to me when pastors told me to become a pastor because I also did work study down at the field house and helped, you know, mop floors. And the custodian there told me I'd make a really good custodian. And I'm like, yeah, everybody just <laughs> tells you whatever they are, you should be that. Um, but what really sealed the deal was one time my my wife and I went back to visit her family. And I was sitting on the couch with a bunch of her little cousins around. And suddenly her aunt, who I had never had a, a lot of conversation with, her aunt walks into the room and she says to these little cousins, you need to move because I need to sit down next to Craig because I have something I need to tell Craig. I was like, okay. And she said, Craig, I have something to tell you. And I need you to know that when I get a hunch about something, I'm usually right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been getting a hunch that you need to go to seminary. So I think you need to go to seminary. And I was just blown away because I didn't think she knew me that well. We had never had any real deep conversations. Um, but that for me was God saying, Okay, what, what, who else do you need me to tell you to go to seminary? Um, and then I told my wife, we'd been married for not quite a year at that point. I was like, oh, by the way, uh, bait and switch. I told you I was going to be, um, you know, working in TV production, but now I'm actually going to go to seminary, which she wasn't totally shocked by because she'd known me long enough to know that was a possibility. 
Uh, but then she told her dad and her dad was like, well, did he know that I was praying for him to go to seminary? And of course I had no idea. So oh, funny. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, a, it was a really, my, my call was just really cool. I feel really blessed to have had God speak that, that clearly to me. Yeah. That's a, it's a huge blessing. I've told people that, I mean, my, my story's different, but my calling was very clear, like something I couldn't deny or couldn't ignore. And I've told people that, over the years that that is it's a mass it's been a massive blessing for me that when I've gone through really difficult periods of ministry um and I've even you know you go through periods where you even question yourself like am I really called to this like am I actually seeing fruit and uh then you think it doesn't like yes I am called to this I remember that moment when God's like cut me to the heart and said you are going into the ministry whether you like it or not and, uh, and that just, that pulls me through. Cause I think, okay, God called me and he didn't call me for no purpose. This just helps me keep, keep going on. Have you experienced that same kind of encouragement because of your strong call? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I listen to, um, I listen to other people, maybe guys in particular, just cause I, I have a Thursday morning group of guys that I, I meet with regularly, but I, I listen to them talk about their sense of call and their career and their vocation. And just one of the things I, I end up feeling really spoiled by whenever I hear them talk is I don't think everybody has that sort of, this is the field you have to be in. Like, I think for a lot of people, God's answer is there's a bunch of stuff you can do. Um, and in some ways I feel spoiled that he has said to me, no, this is it. This is the field you need to be in. Uh, and to get to live with that that clarity, um, I remember on my my summer assignment in seminary, I went to uh, to Cedar Hill Christian Reformed Church in Wyckoff, New Jersey, which in so many ways was an awesome experience. The people there were just fantastic. I loved them. They were so kind to me. But I realized on that summer assignment how hard I found sermon writing, like just brutally, brutally hard. And the thing that was so scary to me about that summer assignment was I realized sermon writing was far harder than I was expecting it to be. And I was sitting there going, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Well, at the same time, God was saying, yep, this is exactly where you're mm -hmm. supposed to be. It, it absolutely affirmed my call and terrified me at the same time, mm -hmm. um, which is just sort of, <laughs> that's just sort of the way God works sometimes. But he's been very gracious to me since then. Yeah. And I, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day that, so I've been, uh, so I was in youth ministry for 11 years before now, uh, before my current call as a senior pastor or lead pastor, whatever you want to call me. Um, and so I've been, I've been in ministry for about 15 years and I've been preaching weekly for 15 years. So even as a youth pastor, we like, I preached a legitimate, actually I preached 30 to 40 minutes to my youth group. And I don't preach that long on Sunday mornings, but <clears throat> anyways, so I've been preaching weekly and it still doesn't like, there's parts of it that get easier, but there's still this weird aspect of like, I can feel it in me as the week goes on. Um, like attention building, like you have some, you have to say something on Sunday. And uh, so I, I'm fairly organized. So I write my sermons on Thursday, usually. And so I like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I feel like this pressure building up, building up. And then I finally get the sermon written and it's like, whew, I have something to say on Sunday. And then you kind of, I kind of relax. And then Friday is my day off. And then I don't even look at my sermon. And then on Saturday, 
I come back to it and then I kind of rework through it and start prepping for Sunday. But then as soon as I touch that sermon again, the pressure starts to build again, leading up till Sunday morning. And then you get done with the service and then you're like, okay. And then you relax and then it starts building again. I don't know. I don't think I'm totally unique in that experience. Have you, you experienced that too on a weekly basis? Yeah. Yeah. The whole week is that, is that pressure build and release. Um, yeah, but that, I, I mean, that's, that's probably true in most people's work that the hardest part of their work is also the most rewarding, right? If, if it were yeah. all just easy, uh, you wouldn't have that same level of satisfaction in it. But yeah, absolutely. I, I also take Friday off for the same reason that I kind of need to, I need to get this thing done before I can relax and to be mm-hmm. able to get it done on a Thursday afternoon and then go into Friday, just like some, some weekends, it's just exhilarating to be like, oh, all that pressure's gone day off tomorrow. It makes Sabbath just really joyful. Yes. Amen. A hundred percent. And it is. And, and like I said, it's funny because I love preaching. It's one of those things that I never in my life would have ever guessed that I would like. I always tell people my freshman year of college, when I had no expectation to be a pastor, um, my two worst classes were communication and Bible <laughs> in college. Like they were the ones I was like barely squeaking by. So when I run into my old college classmates, they're like, what are you, you're, you're doing what? <laughs> but, but I love it now. God has just given me a, a, a love and a passion for it, but it's still hard work. Like you said, like it's still, and I think it's hard because, because we realize the importance of it. Like if, if we didn't think it was a big deal, you could just whip something off, off the cuff, then it, there would be no pressure to it. But, but when you realize like you're going before people to speak the word of God to them, um, and there, there's a real weight to that. There's a joy to it, but there's a weight to that, which is why that pressure, I think, keeps building up and probably will continue to build up for the rest of our life as we preach. Yeah, thankfully, what what has what has eased for me is that is I no longer have the terror of, oh, no, I'm going to get to Sunday and have nothing to say uh, th- that has passed, thankfully. But but that was certainly a big part of it in the early stages of preaching was I don't honestly know if I'm going to have anything to say by the time Sunday rolls around. Yeah. Amen. I I was telling a story to a group of people. uh, I've told this story a few times uh, recently of when I was first in youth ministry, I was uh, speaking at our retreats and I was so far behind the ball that I was literally writing my retreat messages during the retreat. And so I'd be like, you guys go do something fun for a little bit. And I'd like scramble away and try to write my message, which is so bad. And so I'd be sitting there and all of a sudden in the middle, realize I didn't, I have more, I need to say more and I don't have anything to say. It's such a, that's a bad feeling. (laughs) Oh man, I don't have that. Good for you for being able to do something. I think I'd be so paralyzed at that point. I wouldn't, wouldn't get anything on paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bad feeling. That's a, I, I can't do like, I think Charles Spurgeon, I think he wrote every one of his sermons Saturday night. He would sit down Saturday night and he wouldn't quit until he had a sermon, but that was all he did. And I think that I, I couldn't do that. Um, yeah, no, me neither. So I, I want to jump in now as someone who's kind of grown up in the CRC and CRC culture. What, what are some of the things you think are our strengths of our denomination, whether now or even just in our history as well? Well, I will, I will echo what has been said many times before on this podcast. I won't dwell there, but I, I love, I love being a confessional church. I love our confessions. Um, 
you know, I said I, I fell in love with with Luther reading The Bondage of the Will. I didn't realize, had no idea that the Canons of Dort already had that all laid out in that kind of detail. Um, so I, I I love our confessions. I, you know, I, I got to take Heidelberg Catechism with Dr. Birma at, um, did you take it with Birma by any chance? When uh, you were in the seminary? I tested out of it. So oh, I had, yeah. I had taught it a lot before I went there. So I tested out so I didn't have to take the class. Okay. Well, taking it was, was just fantastic because uh, Dr. Beer was just fired up about the Heidelberg Catechism. And he just, he just helped me see um, why it stands head and shoulders above so many other catechisms that were written in its day. Um, and I think I've always liked the catechism because I've always been interested in it. And I've always, and I had the gift of some really, um, I don't, I don't want, they, they weren't like, awesome teachers in the sense of having just amazing pedagogy or something like that, but they were awesome teachers in that they just sincerely loved what they were teaching. And they mm -hmm. just sincerely, you could just tell they cared about what they were teaching. So I had the privilege of sitting under that when I was learning the catechism, which I think really helped grow for me a love in it. So that that's, that's sort of the, the big and obvious one. I, I love, I love that we're a confessional church. I love, I love knowing that, you know, you often, Beaverdam, Wisconsin, are are teaching from just such a a a not just the same theology, but really detailed the same theology um, as what as what we're you know diving into over here. So I love that about the CRC. Um, another thing that I really appreciate about our tradition is um, the emphasis on Christian education, and I've always appreciated that because I've had great experience. I went to a Christian grade school and high school and always really appreciated it. Um, but now that my kids are in it, I, I experienced that appreciation in a whole new way. And one of the things that's really fun about our Christian schools here in Ottawa is that they've become really ecumenical. Um, in, in, in some ways, in fact, this, the CRCs around here don't send that many kids to the Christian schools, but um, they're thriving. And, and in fact, my wife works at the, the Christian school here and works with registrations and they're, they're filled up for next year. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's fun. I, I talk to these parents who come from other traditions and, um, they talk about how much they love the school. And I, you know, I don't brag about this or bring this up. I couldn't take any credit for it anyway, but I'm just sitting there quietly going, I bet they don't know that it was our tradition. It was, it was our forefathers and mothers who had the, the, the vision for this and who had the sacrifice to make this happen. Uh, so I really appreciate that about our tradition as well. I know uh, ministry shares, I actually think is a, is kind of a, a genius idea. I know there's, there's been talk on this podcast and I don't necessarily disagree with all of it about us being a little bit too top heavy as a denomination, but there's certainly no denying the fact that the vision to say, hey, let's pool resources has allowed us to do things as a denomination that many denominations our size or even bigger have not been able to have the kind of impact uh, that we've had. Um, and I also think we have a we have a pretty good balance in our denomination of the the three minds, as they're so-called, right? The, the people who are really passionate about doctrine, people who are really passionate about fostering a close personal relationship with Jesus. And people who are really passionate about, well, what impact does this have on our life, and how are we going to go live this out? Um, and I think we, yeah, we enrich each other in that way, having all all three of those emphases. Yeah, yeah. amen.
Yeah, I think, uh, boy, there's a lot there to talk about. But one of the things, let's, I want to talk about ministry shares a little bit, because that's something we haven't really talked much about besides people saying, like, hey, we got way too much money going to, to head, you know, Grand Rapids HQ or whatever. But, but I think you're right. I think one of the reasons why we, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're a very small denomination, really. And yet I feel like we've been able to punch outside of our weight class because of our, because of our ministry shares. And so I think you're right. We, we want to make sure we don't, uh, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater realizing that, yeah, maybe we are a little top heavy or as, as I think a lot of people, some realize we're top heavy, but others are just frustrated at where some of our money's going. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe moving forward, we're going to have to look at just restructuring where our money goes so that we are still getting a lot of, I think it's bang for the buck is probably not the best way to word it, but, but we're getting, you know, that we're punching out of our weight class in in the right areas that that are strategic. And uh, one of the things I've tried to encourage people to think about when we're talking about maybe restructuring our finances is it seems like it would make a lot of sense if we're all pooling our resources together for kingdom purposes, for us to pool those resources in places where there's the most agreement on rather than in some of these other areas where there's a lot of disagreement, right? And so I think, boy, it would make sense for us to pool a lot of our resources into like, let's say, resonate, and try to really, really fund resonate well, because I think for the most part, most of the people in our in the CRC think, hey, Resonate doing really good ministry and what they're doing is helping further the kingdom. Yeah, I, I know our denomination tried this. I think I was at Synod, I think it was 2017, where they were trying to kind of survey the denomination and be like, so which of our ministry shares are you most passionate about or are causes that are supported by ministry shares? And no surprise, it was absolutely everything, right? So the mm-hmm. I, I don't think the survey did did much to dwindle, but yeah, ideally to be able to say, you know what, that's not a bad thing. We don't really need our denomination to do that, at least not at the expense of taking resources away from say other more, more pressing things. Um, but yeah, I agree. Missions, missions is a, a big one that I think we can all, all get passionate about. Yeah. And I think with just some of the conversations I've had with people recently talking about um, you know, dwindling numbers in the CRC and all of that. And I know there's a lot, that's a really actually convoluted argument because there's a lot of reasons why numbers are dropping in the CRC. But but if we're going to try to, if we want to try to help, you know, advance the kingdom and, and, and uh, spread the gospel, th- there are certain things that are going to do that more effectively, I think. I know now some people would say, and I'll just, I'll just be blunt about it. Some people are going to say, well, the office of social justice is going to help us spread the gospel because of um, our engagement on different social justice issues and whatnot. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, in some ways, but, but home missions is probably going to spread the gospel more effectively, more efficiently than the office of social justice. So maybe, maybe we want to move our funding in, in, um, in the direction that's going to help us um, push, bring the kingdom forward more effectively. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I, I feel like this can happen certainly at 
at council and classes levels too, where we always feel like we got to reinvent the wheel. And it's like, well, if we, if we did a bit of digging, we might find that there's good resources already doing some of these things and we could, we could tap into them without having to create our own, so to speak. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to jump ahead to weaknesses too quickly, but, but maybe, maybe our, maybe one of those is that the CRC has, has been, well, yeah, that's good. What other traditions are doing, but, but if we can do it, with the CRC brand on it, then it'll be better. And maybe in a lot of ways it has been, but maybe in a lot of ways, it, the amount of effort and energy we put into making a CRC version of it didn't versus the, the benefit we got from it, maybe wasn't all there. I haven't, I haven't thought about these things in a lot of specific detail, so I don't have any specific proposals, but certainly those are, those are the right questions to ask. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause I, so I've, I've always been in a, a little bit of a different, uh, CRC context because I, I didn't grow up in the Christian Reformed Church, so I didn't become a member of the Christian Reformed Church till I was fifteen, and then even then the churches that I've been a part of um, were both church plants, and so the majority of the people in my congregation haven't grown up CRC. They were kind of church plants in non-Dutch communities to have a Reformed presence there, and so i i've I've talked with a lot of people who haven't grown up in the c r c so I get to hear a lot of like outsider input and one of the e free pastors in our town that that I was talking to um knew me and sent his kids to the christian school which um which has a, a you know a strong c r c presence and he's like, you Dutch people, you just think you are always right, and like the way that you do things is just the way things need to be done." And, uh, and I kind of was like, no way, that's not what it is. And then, and then I kind of went back with those glasses on a little bit to some of the things I've said, or some of the things that have come out. And I was like, okay, that's maybe a fair, like, I've, I have been the one who's like, ah, that material is not very good. I'm just going to make my own because that's going to be so much better. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay, that's a little bit of a rebuke against me as well. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe we haven't dug enough into to what other churches have done or or put together. I I I certainly I certainly haven't. I can think of times where it's like I'm looking for material on something and I'm like there's got to be just a ton of good stuff out there on this, but I don't know the first place to look. Um, yeah, and there's some of that too where it's like, well, you can spend hours upon hours upon hours looking for material. And uh, I've always been the type of person in general who's like, well, I'm just going to figure out how to do it myself. And so there is some benefit to that, whether it's there's probably an arrogance to it where I just think I can do everything better than everybody else. And that's that's not healthy. But there's a benefit where. Where what I'm building, at least as far as like for our youth ministry, I built all of our curriculum and stuff. Um, It was all tailored to my community then. Right. As whereas when I took other people's curriculum, I would take their stuff and then I would tweak it and twist it and make it fit my my community. And sometimes I thought, boy, it's just easier if I just build it from the ground up here um, as well. So there there is benefits in doing it our own way, but but you're right, you can sometimes just beat your head against the wall as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I haven't I haven't looked to know are there are there other ministries doing some of the things that our ministry shares are going toward that we could actually benefit from them and dial back some of what we're doing? Um, 
I, I guess I, in theory, I'd be hopeful that that was possible, but I, I haven't done the, the research to know. Yeah. And I think for some of these ministries, well, I don't necessarily need to get down this rabbit hole too much, but, but you know, like we already world renew is already off on its own, right? They're connected to the CRC, but they're off on their own, raising their own money and finances and so on and so forth. And so um, some of these other ministries could be still connected to us in some ways, but just not being funded by our ministry shares as well. So there's other ways where we can still have a voice. And boy, I mean, just personally, I think I've probably been clearly voiced my frustration with the Office of Social Justice before. And if I haven't, I'm not real happy about it. But I think there could be a lot of really good work done in the Office of Social Justice if we could really have a more balanced approach to this and actually share a conservative point of view on this and actually try to help people understand what biblical justice is. I think that could be a powerful witness in our community if it was done well. But my frustration and numerous other people's frustrations has been, it seems like we just hear one side over and over and over again, and we're not actually having a, we're not actually having a dialogue. It feels more like propaganda and, uh, and that's not helpful. So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just wonder if, if we can find ways of talking about this, that, I don't know that, (laughs) that we can come together on across some of our political divides. Like I know that when we talk about um, climate change, that immediately is going to, people are going to go, okay, where are we going with this? What kind of policies are we going to have in place? Do I agree with those policies? Are we going left? Are we going right? But if we just talk about how awesome God's creation is and how beautiful it is and how much we love it and want to, you know, take good care of it. Here's some ideas for things you could do to worship God by taking care of creation. I mean, even some of that, if we just put, just put language on it, that's maybe a little more biblical rather than political. We, we may be able to actually get more traction because I, I think, I mean, I, I know the only, my own impulse when I read something that comes from a political perspective I don't agree with is just to kind of roll my eyes and move on. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the right way to read it, but I just know that that, that happens quickly on both sides of, of the political divide. Yeah, yeah, we're just at that spot in you know, anything really that we're talking about recently, just our culture is so politicized and that has really worked itself into the church where it's really hard. Even, even to say, use the language, because I'm a big nature guy. I spend so much time out in the woods. And so I'm all about taking care of nature and, and honoring and respecting God's creation. And, um, but still, um, even if you were to use the language, man, God's creation is beautiful. We should learn how to take care of it. Here are some ways you might be able to take care of it and honor God through that. I, I can hear some of my friends who are really frustrated about climate change going, I know what you're trying to do. I know you're just trying to slowly, you know, you're trying to nudge me. And it's like, well, no, not actually, right? Or whatever other political issue you want to get on. Everybody's assuming everybody's trying to jockey for position and try to kind of propagandize you in a direction. So it's been, it's hard. It's hard to have conversations around creation. It's hard to have conversations around uh, race relations right now, right? That's a big hot button topic. It's hard to even have a civil discussion about it. And so we've got a lot of work cut out for us in the church even just to really start having some of those conversations. And probably 
we would have a lot better conversations if we pulled most of those off of uh, social media or blogs, probably. If we had uh, the, mo the most productive conversations I've had over the last couple of years over some really contentious topics. Um, I have a I have one friend who I'm really, really close with. And we pretty much disagree on everything political. Um, I mean, we are just polar opposites. And so I've had a few conversations where I've called them up and said, all right, we don't need to fight and yell at each other, but we need to figure out like, how can we actually have a conversation with each other where I understand where you're coming from and you understand where I'm coming from and we can figure out like how to still be in relationship with one another on this. And those were really helpful conversations rather than on Facebook and Twitter and even blog posts. It's like just a one-way volley all the time and you're not in relationship with that person. And so it really makes it almost impossible to have a helpful, healthy dialogue on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like the way you like the way you word that, put that. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Craig Hugama. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.